Navigating the Datascape with Warner Chavez and special guests. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. And today we are going to be covering the most exciting announcements for the Google Cloud Next conference in fall 2022. Joining me today is a regular guest of the podcast and a man that knows almost everything about Google Cloud, Sandeep Arora. How are you, Sandeep? I'm doing great, Warner, and thanks for having me. Pretty excited to share all these updates. It's been an exciting week. Well, did you attend the conference in person, by the way? No, no, I didn't. I just followed them virtually. I followed them virtually. Oh, okay. Same here. Uh, for me, it was like the literally the other side of the world. So it was difficult following up across all of them, but I did do a recap afterwards. It was really helpful and I learned a lot as well. Yeah. And then interestingly as well, this year, uh, Google Next fell on the same dates as Microsoft Ignite. And I believe in about three weeks, we're going to have a WS reinvent as well. So we will be covering that when, when it comes along in a few weeks. So jumping back here on Google Cloud Next, uh, a little disclaimer, obviously, we don't have enough time to cover absolutely every single update. The list is massive. It's over 100 different uh, items that were announced by Google during the conference. And Deep and I just cherry picked um, the items that we find the most interesting, usually related to data analytics, BI, or, or a little bit of infra as well, because those are the areas that you know we usually are, are working on. But there's a lot of other updates in terms of workspace, app development, a deep dive networking, and other stuff that we're just not going to cover. However, if you go to Google and you just search for Google Cloud Next 22 wrap up, you will find immediately the Google Cloud article um, where it runs through every single update. All right. So let's get going here. So, first is uh, Google Cloud is introducing five new Google Cloud regions. So, now we're going to have Google Cloud Austria, Greece, Norway, and very interestingly, South Africa and Sweden as well. Any thoughts here, Sandeep, on the new region availability? Or Google Cloud? Yes, absolutely. I think this is uh, growing the overall ecosystem in terms of infrastructure across the globe. It opens up more opportunities for the customers to be able to deploy their workloads, etc. One of the things that I've been following closely with Google Cloud is like how seriously they're taking data governance and data sovereignty. Like they're mm -hmm. offering you specific regions inside the territories where, you know, like for example, if you want to host your data inside a specific country, right? They are offering you a region that is a different location, like far away, miles away, but in the mm. same country. So when you are establishing DRs, you don't have to cross the boundaries of that country and then, you know, be uh, fall into issues with governments, etc. because you're not keeping the data or private or personal data or any other compliant data outside of that particular country's boundaries, et cetera, yeah. borders, et cetera. So that's that's something that Google Cloud is taking very seriously. And another point about all of these regions is that Google Cloud has always been very proud of saying that they have been carbon neutral and all the new regions and infrastructure that they're launching, they have the least amount of carbon emission as well. So also, you know, a bit towards environment as well. So as they grow all of these regions and all of this infrastructure, 
hosting IT infrastructure is also going to be efficient and also going to be clean as well. So I think it's yeah, absolutely. Exciting. That's pretty cool. It's a big focus for all the three major cloud providers as well, right? To decrease the emissions per uh, uh, watt consumption of their data centers, right? Yeah. So, well, and it's not only good for the environment. I'm sure like optimizing uh, spend anyway for them, right? right. Like e even a small change when you're operating at that scale can mean uh, millions of dollars, right? So it's very, right. it's cool, right? Because it's just, it, you know, in innovation will be driven also by uh, lowering the cost. So that's cool. All right. Now let's jump into the first section today for updates is data analytics and there was a lot of juicy stuff here sandeep can you run us through some of the major updates for data and analytics yep so the, the the major one i think is the big query update which you know now it allows you to analyze both unstructured and streaming data as well which could include yes. audio files call center logs etc as well so that's a pretty big update right uh, because so far we would only be able to like analyze the batch data, right? Mm -hmm. But now the streaming data can also be directly ingested into BigQuery for analysis. So the whole idea of like, you know, creating a pipeline to get the data into BigQuery, that's no longer required. I still haven't looked at the integrations, et cetera, but uh, definitely gonna try those out. And it seems pretty cool if you can, you know, forget about creating infrastructure or pipelines to get data in there. It's just, there is an integration, you just, you know, plug and play and the data will be there and you can just start analyzing it. So yeah, that's that, that's a, a major one I would see. Any thoughts that you want to share on that? Yes, so that's, uh, it's uh, very interesting, of course, uh, the approach of uh, putting everything in BigQuery. It reminds me, probably reminds you as well of the approach that Snowflake also uh, debuted earlier this year uh, for the same thing, right? The Snowflake right. said, look, uh, we are opening up Snowflake now through the capability of Snowpark, right? Of being able to run Python, Java, Scala, et cetera. So that, and, and the ability to just query straight into cloud storage, you can use Snowflake to do all your unstructured um, and streaming data analysis as well, right? So this is pretty much um, the same thing. You can do it now with BigQuery, right? So now right. it's just... Uh, how how soon do we see it in all the other uh, uh, major cloud provider data warehouse products? Uh, Synapse Analytics, for example, from Microsoft, it's a somewhat different approach, right? Because it bundles Spark into the service as well. So you can still do all the unstructured inside Synapse, but you do it through the Spark engine. Um, so yeah, very, very interesting. Of course, uh, BigQuery is just, uh, just getting bigger and bigger in terms of capabilities, right? And I do think BigQuery is, is a great product. I, I find it really, really easy to use. And uh, yeah, it's, that's a, it's a great thing to have this capability now all inside one place, right? Make it really easy for people to do their unstructured analysis, which I think is the real game changer here, the unstructured part of it. Right, right. It's interesting that you brought up Snowflake as well, because the other updates that are going to be following up, right, they're pretty similar to what we've also talked about in, in terms of features and support for Snowflake as well. So it's good for competition and also for options that are available to the customers because they have better data warehousing solutions that's available on the cloud so they can adopt to a modern data platform. Uh, and uh, basically, as the use cases in the feature grows, uh, better for the customers itself, right? Uh, Absolutely. To the next one, right? This is a major one. Uh, data format update uh, is like Big Lake is now going to support Apache Iceberg, 
the Delta Lake and also Apache Hoodie as well. Uh, Apache Hoodie, people who don't know, it's pretty brand new. It will allow you to, you know, uh, bring transactions, like record level updates, deletes, etc., and even change streams to a Delta uh, Data Lake as well. So that's pretty big as well, and it will be supported on Big Lake going forward. So that is also a major update. Uh, any thoughts on that, Warner? Uh, yeah, well, this is the uh, same thing as, as we were seeing, you know, in the other cloud providers as well, right? These uh, new, I, let's, I don't know what the term would be, but we can call them like a next gen of, unstruct of uh, not unstructured, but data, uh, data, data lake tables, right? So um, the important thing for people to understand is that if you are using like the open source Spark, and then people would create tables with Spark all the way out to like Hive and then just the regular vanilla Spark, those tables that exist on uh, the data lake don't have a lot of the features that people would get from creating tables on RDBMSs or um, you know uh, proprietary products, right? So there was a big gap there, right? You couldn't do transactions. There was no time travel. There was no CVC, like you just mentioned, Sandeep. So a lot of projects kind of kept uh, coming up. And there's three major ones, the ones that you just mentioned, Iceberg, Delta Lake, and Hootie, that are the biggest uh, uh, projects right now to create these next generation of data lake tables that can allow some of this functionality even directly on data lake uh, storage, right? So that's, that's why it's really important to uh, see the support for these new formats because going forward, any... A production environment that is doing a structured data in uh, data lakes is going to be doing one of these formats, right? I don't think anybody uh, today, and I don't think anybody would be doing just the vanilla open source Spark tables because they're so limited in functionality compared to any of these three. I, I have to say, I haven't worked directly with Iceberg or Hoodie, um, but at least working with Delta Lake is just, yeah, I, there's no turning back. Like once you work with Delta Lake, you're not gonna wanna work with the regular open source Spark tables, right? Right, right, because you know how dirty they can get over the period of time, right? And it becomes difficult to manage them as well, right? Yeah, and, and you, you miss a lot of feature functionality, right? Compared to like, uh, uh, these these new these new uh, uh, formats of of data lake tables, yeah. Right, right. right moving on, uh, the next one, which you kind of already mentioned, right? But uh, uh, we're still going to cover that uh, the integration between BigQuery and Apache Spark, which will allow you to integrate Spark jobs within your SQL pipelines, etc., which will help in enhancing the processing time and speeding up the uh, the analysis of your data and processing times of your data as well. So that's a pretty big one as well. Uh, yeah, uh, do you want to? Yeah, it's basically, it's basically, uh, it's basically it's no park for BigQuery. I don't know whether they should query BigQuery Spark or whatever, <laughs> Big Spark. Anyway, um, yeah. I mean, it, it, literally, we just talked about this in like the first item, right? The unstructured access to it, and uh, now uh, full Spark integration there with BigQuery. It's uh, not super surprising, and again, it just makes it easier to run more workloads on BigQuery. Similar approach again that Snowflake took. It's saying let's bring your workloads into the Snowflake engine, right? Right, right. Did you follow the update on Dataplex like when it was launched? I got super excited when Dataplex was launched because of you know how this will allow you to remove silos and have a single class of pain for all your data governance, data lake monitoring, plus managing needs, etc. 
Um, yes, yes. So it's I haven't followed how the service has progressed. I I, I like the value prop of the service, sim similar to AWS's Lake Formation uh, value prop, right? The, the you try to centralize the, the the governance and the management of all these different data sets. Um, but also, I, I have I haven't I haven't really followed how it has progressed since it was released. It's mostly like you know how you have everything in one single place in Synapse workspace, right? Mm. What this is like now. What they have done is like with Dataplex, they have enhanced the functionality of tracking down accuracy of the data, ability to clean up data, etc., manage data quality and data lineage as well, which you know cool. will help the customers to get, have more control over their data because the main problem that you're going to have is like as data grows like it's easier to say like we're going to build a mdp but when you have multiple data sources from where the data is coming in and when you store it into multiple locations over the period of time the management and the governance of all of that data becomes a big mess mm -hmm. but with a single class of pain, like a single solution, a management solution. And also with monitoring on top of that, it makes at least a data analyst or even a data architect's life a lot easier, right? So yeah, well, there's not a lot in terms of what they have done except for enhancing its capabilities and the accuracy overall, but definitely a right step in the direction where life would be a lot easier for data architects and data analysts to manage all mm. of that. Yeah, I think this is a, a very interesting space for the first party cloud providers to move into because it's a space that has been historically dominated by ISVs, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, people like Informatica, Talent, Decolibra, et cetera. And usually this type of software has been really expensive, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm really excited to see things like, you know, the data quality part of it, the lineage part of it, the governance part of it to be uh, commoditized by the first party cloud providers. So I think I think that's a net positive for the market. Maybe not a net positive for some of these other vendors, but, uh, you know, such is life. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, I think it's good for everybody else. Right. So, and uh, moving on, we have uh, uh, the other one was mostly in line of integration, which is good to see. Uh, one of the uh, my favorite tools that I have used for migrations, etc., is Stream. But apart from mm -hmm. Stream, there has been other popular enterprise data platforms that has been integrated as well, including Databricks, Fivetran, MongoDB, Sisu Data, as well. So yeah, that's going to expand the overall of e overall ecosystem, not just you know uh, in terms of analytics, but also in terms of moving data around, migrating data. Right and uh, adding uh, what do you call that uh, augmented analytics uh, using uh, CSU data to the uh, overall uh, mix of data analytics, which helps and drive better decision making, etc. As well, so that is going to be a good one to see. You know, uh, as well, pretty excited to dive into those integrations as well. And uh, yeah, I haven't used them yet to be honest, but uh, we'll be trusting. Yeah, that, well, Databricks, of course, was already in AWS and Azure. Really, really popular product to run Spark over there, right? Databricks is pretty much its own data platform nowadays. It just made sense that they would bring it into Google Cloud and integrate it even further. And the others are, I mean, they're all like 
really popular products. I just mentioned Calibra in my in the previous uh, for the previous update. Uh, I mean, Elastic is also incredibly popular for the full text searching and indexing capabilities, right? Um, I've never used Fivetran, but it comes up a lot. People use it quite a bit for their um, data movement, right? Um, and obviously, MongoDB is super popular product as well. So, yeah. Uh, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. All these new products and integrations, they, uh, you know, lean into the partner ecosystem to round out uh, all the other offerings. All right, let's move on to business intelligence. And business intelligence updates for Google Next are all about the strategy that is shaping up after the Looker acquisition. So if for anybody that's not familiar with this, uh, Looker obviously being a very popular um, visualization analytics tool, it was acquired by Google. Uh, well, when was it acquired by Google? I don't know. Has it been more than, has it been two years now? Or has it just been one year? I don't know. Something um, yeah. Yeah, um, but uh, but very interesting. Now we're seeing uh, a strategy emerge to try to bring Looker to be more available for more people. So Google, the biggest announcement here is that it is Google had developed another Viz and an analytics product called Data Studio, and so Google Cloud had both Looker as its, let's call it full-fledged enterprise Viz tool, and it also had Data Studio. And a lot of people were wondering what is going to happen now with Data Studio after the Looker acquisition, right? Is Google going to just deprecate Data Studio? Is Google going to kill Data Studio? Is it just going to keep developing Data Studio as a smaller parallel sibling to Looker? Well, now we have the answer because we have uh, seen the strategy that Google is taking. I think it's a great step, to be honest, and it makes a lot of sense, especially for competing with Power BI, is that Google is now consolidating the BI tooling under the Looker umbrella. So it's going to change everything to the Looker name. But now Data Studio is going to be called Looker Studio. And same as Power BI comes and uh, starts in a free tier, Looker Studio is also going to be available at no cost. So big game changer here, of course. So now we're going to have Looker Studio as well as the actual Looker Enterprise product. And then, uh, you know, bundled with this uh, announcement, of, of course, that now we have this uh, rebranding of the product and it's going to be available at no cost. Same going along with it, the Looker data models. So the data models that you can create on the full-fledged Looker tool they are accessible from Looker Studio. Makes sense. If you are somewhat in between, you know, your BI needs, you're, you, you have grown past what you can get from for free, but you're not quite there for the full-fledged enterprise Looker, they're also going to be offering a Looker Studio Pro so that you'll have uh, some enterprise management features like uh, identity management, team call-up capabilities, and some actual SLAs. So there's going to be a middle tier there between Looker Studio Free and the full Looker Enterprise. It's going to be called Looker Studio Pro. So I think that's really cool as well. And they are doing a lot of enhancements as well to be able um, for Tableau and Microsoft uh, customers uh, for Power BI to also analyze data from Looker. So that's also really cool as well, so that you can uh, have an architecture, for example, if you uh, have a you know 
uh, most of your data has already been developed or placed in Google Cloud and you already have a lot of investment in Looker. But for whatever reason, you want to also implement uh, some of these other really popular um, biz tools and BI tools, you'll be able to just connect those straight into Looker as well. And uh, Looker is also going to be integrated into Google Workspace, which makes a lot of sense, of course. And starting with Google Sheets, you will be able to bring in this uh, from uh, Looker into your Google Sheets so that you can uh, combine the productivity tools of Google Workspace and then the intelligence of Looker as well into one workflow. Okay, so that's really cool as well. And uh, there's a new partnership as well with Sisu Data. We'll have to see. I don't know how this is going to shape up in practice, but it says that it will be providing easy access to Sisu capabilities inside both Looker and uh, BigQuery. Okay, so we'll have to see what happens there. All right, in terms of um, how that gets um, surfaced to the end users, right? And for people that are not familiar with this, so Sisu is basically a vendor that does a lot of AI and ML automation, uh, really easy to develop so that, you know, these capabilities can be added without having to be, um, you know, an AI and ML kind of expert. So we'll see how that um how that pans out. So a lot of stuff here in the BI space. Some some thoughts on deep there in the Looker Studio offering, the Looker model. Um, what do you think? Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. And in, in my opinion, this was inevitable. Well, I think I like the rebranding of Looker Studio, right? From Data Studio to Looker Studio. The reason for that is because I had a lot of confusion when I used to like talk about these products, like Data Flow, Data Proc, Data Prep, Data Studio, right? I always get confused talking about all of these, right? Now I have to not worry about one of them because it's just Looker Studio and it's easier to remember which what it is, right? So that's mm -hmm. definitely something that I like about rebranding. Uh, apart from that, uh, a couple of points that you mentioned about this being available inside of Google Cloud and also under Google Workspace as well. I, I definitely want to see how this is going to be licensed. Is it going to be licensed under Google Cloud projects or is it going to be licensed under, well, it's free, right? But what about the pro one, right? Which obviously is going to be at some licensing cost, right? So it's, it's going to be a part of the Workspace program, which you mm. can, or is it going to be part of uh, the Google projects, et cetera, as well? So, th so that is definitely interesting to see on how it's going to be licensed. And uh, about that uh, partnership with CSU data that you mentioned, I, I think that's that's definitely a good move, right? Because it's going to help uh, uh, customers to bridge in the gap between business intelligence and business and, and decision intelligence as well, which is going to drive better decision making. So definitely a good update there as well. Um, well, uh, I know that there are a few customers who use Looker, right? Well, like you mentioned that, What's going to happen? What's the future like? I think this is a this is a step in the right direction. Well, with Google acquiring Looker and finally starting starting to you know provide dedicated announcements and dedicated feature set in terms of Looker for business intelligence also looks good for the competition as well. Because to be honest, right now, if you ask me, with what is the best available BI platform out there? Well, Power BI. There are no contenders, right? Probably Looker could be a contender in the future as uh, you know Google tries and develop the platform over the period of years. I guess. Yes, this is something that I think Google was missing, and that's why I think this is this is great for the consumer, and it also makes a lot of business sense. Is that Looker, as it was, was basically 
kind of like somebody, if you were selling, you know, like somebody their first car and you wanted their first car to be like the Ferrari, right? And and so it was missing that like intermediate steps for people that were not ready to do the full-blown looker implementation to graduate, go into uh, into looker, right? So Power BI, may, it already had this, it's had it for years, right? You start with Power BI free. Right, it has like la a ladder that you can climb as your business matures and your BI needs mature. You can start with free, play around with it, see if it's good for you, uh, develop prototypes, proof of concepts, everything you can do it for in the free tier, right? And then when you need a little bit more functionality in terms of enterprise features, you can pay for Power BI Pro. And then when you are, you know, graduated, that you, you need uh, actual SLAs, more compute powered, bigger models, all that stuff, then you have Power BI Premium. Right, and you can pay Power BI premium per user. You can pay per capacity. Like it has this whole like uh, a, a gradual increase in in features and consumption, right? And that's something that I think Google was missing because it only had uh, it had Data Studio, but Data Studio again, it wasn't in the same umbrella. There wasn't a real easy way to graduate from one to the other, right? It just had this, and then this huge gap, and going to Looker. So now I think this really rounds out the story a lot better because we can go in confidently and say, look, you want to do your um, this BI analytics in Google Cloud? Look, you can start just throw a prototype on Looker Studio. If you're a small, medium business, you can start thinking about Looker Studio Pro. And whenever you're ready, hopefully, you know, those businesses all mature in terms of their needs and BI and they can graduate into the full-blown looker, right? I think they were really missing this gradual uh, story for a lot of this um, BI in, in Google Cloud, right? Because it was just like looker or nothing, or Data Studio was seen as like this whole different thing, right? So I think this is, this is great. I think they were really missing this, and this is going to really help uh, looker adoption, in my opinion. Um, I agree. Well, that's it, I guess, for the business intelligence piece. Uh, let's move on to the databases piece, right? So for the databases piece, there are a few announcements across areas in Bigtable, AlloyDB, Spanner, and uh, integration mm -hmm. of Artix AI and Firestore as well, and also for Cloud SQL as well. So let's cover all of those, right? So I'm going to cover Cloud SQL first. So not a major update, but definitely a good one to have is that now you're gonna get recommenders for security and performance related, you know, so like how you would go into recommenders and you will see updates on cost optimization, performance availability, et cetera. Well, well System Insights is gonna offer that for Cloud SQL as mm. well. So if you Sense. miss anything by any chance, well, there you go, Google is gonna help you with those recommenders, provided you have the correct support model with Google as well. If you're on the basic support, the free one, well, you don't get any recommenders, by the way. <laughs> right? But if you're on the correct one, then you're going to get security and performance recommendations for Cloud SQL. That's nice. for Cloud SQL. Any thoughts on that, Warner? I think it's great. I think, I mean, you're, you're trying to sell a database as a service offering, right? So you want to automate them and, and assist the clients as much as possible in terms of um the management of those databases themselves so anything that can be automated like that i think is great and, and again this brings it to par with some of the competitors right and in, in the other two major cloud providers in terms of being able to offer automatic security and performance recommendations right right absolutely the next one is going to be around big table 
So Bigtable now supports change streams, which allows you to track writes, updates, and delete on the Bigtable database and its tables, and allows you to replicate that downstream to systems like BigQuery. So if you have data on Bigtable that you want to further send out to BigQuery for analytics, et cetera, well, now you can do that, which makes your life a lot easier because you don't have to write a, or, you know, write some kind of, I would say, change tracking or build something like that on your own. It's just supported. Yeah, out yeah, yeah. That's great. Eh? That's, that's, uh, uh, haven't you, I mean, this is something else. We don't have a specific, and well, I guess this is a specific analysis related to it, but you can see over time how much Google is spending in enabling more and more easy ways to write operational stuff into BigQuery, right? Right, right. So th this is, I mean, we, we now we have, uh, I mean, we have the BigQuery data transfer service, which takes care of a lot of things, right? You can connect to a lot of the Google SaaS products, like Google Analytics data, Google Ads data, all that can, can come in into BigQuery without having to develop anything. Now we have this integration of Bigtable uh, to be able to consume, uh, right, to do uh, change streams as well. Um, I think there's another product. I forget what it's called. I think uh, Google Google Data Stream, right? It's something like yes. that. I think that's yes. the name that yes. is also focused on that. And they just enabled in preview, I think, um, PostgreSQL uh, integration to stream data into BigQuery as well. Anyway, sure. so this is a this is a big trend, of course, to just uh, solve the ETL problem by just building all these data integrations straight straight into That's BigQuery. Right. Just land everything to BigQuery with a few clicks. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, like how they're taking this very seriously as well. Because earlier this year, I remember they launched change streams for even Spanner as well. Right. It was it's definitely yes. not an announcement because it was launched some time back, but definitely like, you know, it was launched to Spanner first and now to Bigtable. So probably wanna see the same feature available to all of their databases that they have available on GCP. Yeah. I agree. It is pretty good. It's very nice. Right. The next one is going to be around LOIDB. So if you have worked on LOIDB or if you don't know what LOIDB is, it's basically PostgreSQL, but 4x times faster, highly available, offering up to 99.99% availability, has built-in failure detection and recovery and offers 100x times better performance than standard PostgreSQL for analytical workload, workload as well, right? So the update is that now it includes partner solutions for more than 30 different partners, which includes support from business supports under the area of business intelligence, analytics, data governance, observability for monitoring, et cetera, and system integrations, et cetera, as well. So I think that they are taking this very seriously. And I won't be surprised if in future Cloud SQL doesn't support PostgreSQL at all, right? And you think so? I think so, yeah, because mm. why would someone want to use yeah. a product which is like, you know, claimed to be slower, right? <laughs> well, if LOIDB is uh, better and it built on the same database engine as PostgreSQL, I think that's what they're going to be using mm, and yeah. Google would probably so, sell as well. Yeah, no, I, 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 if all things are equal, then I, I probably agree with you. I just wonder, if uh, I haven't played around with AlloyDB, I don't know if uh, there's any sort of compatibility issues that could crop up, 
or 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 just basically if you don't if you have like a really small PostgreSQL, you might still just want to put it in Cloud SQL and not bother with AlloyDB. In, in terms of cost, I don't know if you know if it's more expensive as well, right? But um, otherwise, I mean, all things being equal, of course, like you said, why would I want to put it somewhere that it's supposedly slower, right? Right. Um, I do think it's very it's very interesting that Google has focused on PostgreSQL to develop this particular service. Because like you said, it is, they have clearly put R&D into it. They are adding now more than 30 partner solutions to go around this service. So clearly somebody at Google thinks this is a a, a service that is, is, is gonna produce enough to invest in it, right? Um, and it's all around PostgreSQL. And it's, it's just crazy. The popularity of PostgreSQL has just exploded in the last few years. Huh? It's always been behind the scenes as like, you know, all that, that the other open source engine behind MySQL, right? And all the different MySQL flavors. But it's just it's just become so popular in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, we just see everybody just, you know, <laughs> dropping PostgreSQL services nowadays. Let me tell you a quick fun story about PostgreSQL, right? It's popularity specifically. Uh, three, four years back, I talked to a friend of mine who I started my career with. We used to some work in the same uh, domain and we were both SQL, so DBS back then when I started my career. Uh, three, four years back, I was talking to this person and you know, normally when, we, when you talk about it to a friend who is in the same you know, uh, work, right, the same job, right? You would ask him like, what's new? Like, what are you learning new? What are you trying to learn new in terms of technology? Mm -hmm. Surprised me when he said, and he's been a SQL DB and pretty good at, pretty good SQL DBA for a pretty long time, I would say around eight to nine years. And I asked him like, what are you trying to do now? Uh, he said, I'm trying to learn PostgreSQL. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. It just surprised me because in the world where people are trying to learn cloud, et cetera, and there are so many other technologies, he was so hung up on how, you know, why he wants to learn PostgreSQL. Well, I didn't think of that much until recently because the more I talk to the customers or I understand their requirements, uh, specifically the customer who wants to move to a open source, uh, you know, platform uh, mm -hmm. for PostgreSQL comes at the number one choice for all of them. Yeah, that. it comes up a lot, eh? Yeah. I know. And everybody and their dog is building compatibility stuff to it, which I think is related to the next update. Exactly. Again, <laughs> PostgreSQL. So yeah. Spanner introduced, uh, I don't know if it was this year or last year, but Spanner introduced a interface where, you know, if you migrate to Spanner and you're using PostgreSQL statements, etc. well, just change the interface to PostgreSQL and it was just work, right? So that made life a lot easier in terms of migration, et cetera, because there's no re-architecture or rewriting the code, et cetera. But that's not the update. The update is that now the PostgreSQL interface for Spanner will support its first set of drivers for Java, which is JDBC. And for mm. Golang, we have the PostgreSQL driver as well. So this is a major update, I would say, specifically if it's not just for PostgreSQL interface, but also for Spanner as a whole as well on how much Google is investing in the Spanner ecosystem. Uh, Spanner is a horizontally scalable RDBMS solution that can offer you up to 99.999% SLA, 
which is very high for an RDBMS solution. And the investment in this ecosystem is definitely growing from Google as well. And uh, definitely it combines like both the distributed databases availability plus RTPMS to give you one single solution for your workloads. So definitely, you know, I won't be surprised that if they start launching more interfaces like MySQL as well in the future, and that will just grow the Spanner ecosystem. So step in the right direction. What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, well, same thing, right? It's like how 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 many ways do we offer people to run PostgreSQL now? <laughs> it's like you got Cloud SQL, we got AlloyDB, and now we also have the option, yeah, to do the um, PostgreSQL interface on top of Spanner. And yeah, it just uh, I have to see how it plays out in the market. A Spanner Spanner is a great product. Um, and we'll have to see how it works out in terms of, of customer needs, right? Because it's going to be kind of tricky too. You have to re, uh, really understand your customer's requirements to figure out like where you want to run your PostgreSQL workload now, right? We have so many options, so that's really important. Um, but uh, this this might bring in a, some people that want to maybe not feel like they're getting locked into spanner because it's just uh you know a first party service maybe they feel like if they develop against pretending that spanner is postgresql it still leaves more options available but at the same time they'll be able to leverage the distributed nature of spanner so i, I guess i can see a use case there yeah or oh, if you haven't already sold Spanner enough, here is another one. Well, Spanner has integration with Vertex AI. So now you can write simple SQL statements to call machine learning models in Vertex AI, right? So integration with ML and AI as well makes, uh, you know, I, I think it, it, also, it grows the overall ecosystem that we've been talking about, about Spanner and how much Google is investing in the product itself. So that's the other one. Uh, moving on, uh, there has been uh, good updates on Firestore as well, right? And these are native. So Firestore has two different modes. There's the native mode and then there's the data store mode. The updates that I'm going to be sharing with you guys is mostly on the Firestore native mode itself. So people specifically in the mobile development work, world, mm -hmm. there's Firebase a lot, while Firestore is their first choice as a backend. One of the major updates that is interesting for me as well is that the throughput, the right throughput, which was throttled at 10,000 writes, uh, has been now removed, right? Okay. So I don't know what the new limit is, right? Uh, probably want to go into the portal and see it when it is live. But now there is no update. There is no limit of uh, 10,000 writes that per second uh, that was there before. So that has been removed, which is great because now if you have applications which requires a managed backend, uh, well, Firestore is a great choice if it was already not for solutions that are built in Firebase specifically. That is one of them. The other one is a cost-efficient scalable aggregation function, which is count. Now Firestore will also support a count function, which is going to be cost-efficient and is going to help you do this scalable, uh, in a scalable way. Mm, and, that's interesting. Keep and, in mind, people, so people that are not familiar with Firestore, right? Firestore is a, a database that's kind of like a NoSQL database. So it is distributed as well. So 
counting, though it might seem like, oh, why do we care about counting, right? But usually count, if there's no specific uh, optimization for it, count can become a very expensive distributed operation, right? So I wonder what what they are, they did behind the scenes, maybe some pre-aggregations or some new metadata that the service keeps to make this, this count function or counting in general more uh, efficient, right? So that's why that's why it's worthy of an update in this case, yeah. Right, the way, I think the way Snowflake does it, like when it, you know, gets the data in, it performs an aggregation and stores it into metadata, maybe something like that, I guess. So it yeah, it could be something similar to that. Yeah. Right, and the last update on Firestore is that now the tables are, well, well you mentioned like Firestore, like about a NoSQL DB, right? It's typically a document DB, right? So now you can set a time to live on the documents that you stored in Firestore, and you can set expiry period or a TTL. So after that period, the tables will simply expire. So okay, that's cool. Retention policies, et cetera, for your tables in Firestore as well. Nice. All right, that's pretty cool. Sounds like pretty handy things uh, that you would like to have in your NoSQL database for sure. The time to live is very popular as well in these NoSQL databases, right? Because they're just, used for a uh, quick um quick mobile development or app development and really short interactions right they're, they're definitely geared towards the oltp space and usually when people want to do analytics they just move that data off to something else right whether it's data lake or or straight into BigQuery, right so a lot of this is you don't need really need to keep those documents forever in that particular NoSQL engine right makes a lot of sense all right, let's move on. We got some updates for uh, compute. So moving on into the infrastructure world, Sandeep, what do you got there that uh, piqued your interest? Well, it's it's most mostly an update related to how Google is going to procure new hardware, specifically from different vendors. The first one on the list is that now Google is going to support fourth generation uh, Xeon processors from Intel, which is going to have the Intel infrastructure processing unit. Now this update specifically is going to be available under the compute optimized instances under the instance families, right? So right now it only supports processors, I think third generation Intel processors and latest AMD based processors are, are available under the compute family. But this one, when it is launched, uh, it isn't currently in private preview and probably not even available in all the regions. Uh, you're going to find it in the US regions, I believe, right now. And okay. uh, this is going to be launched under the compute uh, optimized family. So, definitely, well, this is going to offer better processing power and for workloads that require more compute. And this is going to be a, a good uh, use case uh, in terms of uh, infrastructure as a service. Right? Okay. So, that's number one. The other two are across the TPUs and GPUs. Well, again, they're going to upgrade some of their hardware, install new hardware on their data centers that will involve uh, uh, new TPUs being available and also GPUs uh, from NVIDIA. So the update reads that uh, it's going to be the, the, the GPUs specifically. And again, this is going to be available under the uh, S-rated or GPU-optimized instance families where mm -hmm. you will find support for NVIDIA A100 Tensor Core a GPU as well. So that's uh, definitely so good. Some new NVIDIA hardware as well. Exactly, exactly. So, so far, uh, they used to only support, I believe, 
I'm, I'm not sure if, if I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I think NVIDIA processors or sorry, not processors, GPUs were not available before. There was only one set of processors that were available. Now this is going to be growing into the area of offering, uh, you know, uh, GPUs. Several different ones. Yeah, other vendors as well. So that's going to be, you know, um, better in terms of because like how every vendor has their own cost. Right, so this is probably going to lower or increase the cost and give them the choice of uh, choosing their own uh, uh, processor types as well. And again, in addition of this, will help you do build your ML infrastructure or AI infrastructure using virtual machines as well. So that's going to be uh, a additional option for people who want to do be, who want to be more hands on and uh, do things from scratch as well. So it gives them more, uh, you know, uh, uh, leverage uh, for the infrastructure that has been available. Right. I'm hoping to see more of these, to be honest, like because I, I really get excited when a new of these um, hardware procurement happens. The reason for that is that the more hardware that is being procured, it makes compute much more faster and it makes your infrastructure more cost effective. Right. Yeah, it drives the cost down, obviously, as well as well when they introduce new vendors. Right. Some people say, like, why? <laughs> why, why, uh, you know, these cloud providers even bother, you know, offering AMD, for example, if they have Intel, or why offer Intel if they have AMD or whatever? But this this type of vendor competition is good to to drive the price down, actually, right? So yeah, it's um, it, it's not just that. Like uh, the other point is like how certain applications are better served on a certain processor type, mm-hmm. right? That could also impact uh, the workloads as well. Uh, I've I've certain I've on certain scenarios, I've had issues where we have ran some benchmarks versus Intel versus AMD. Well, most of them have performed specifically well on both the platforms, provided you're using the same number of cores from both platforms. But in certain scenarios, I've been told that one platform, I'm not going to name the platform, but one platform has performed better than the other one. So when you're moving, migrating specifically, you probably want to stick to what you have been using before as well. So that also helps as well. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. If you have a a big investment on prem and you picked one or the other vendors, you probably want to. If you just do like a lift and shift, then you probably want to stay close to what your original architecture was, right? And favor one over the other. Okay. Do we got anything else in the compute space? Yep. Uh, there is a flexibility that has been added to committed use discounts. So committed use discounts allowed you to procure servers or well compute for one to three year term commitment, right? From what I understand is that now you can have flexibility across that, like because there was a lock-in period of whatever you purchase, either a one year or a three year commitment. Now you can actually commit for a three year period, right? And then exchange it later on with a one year period, but the overall discount will be 46%, right? So they have allowed some flexibility in changing the amount of period where earlier you would be locked in and either you use it or you don't use it, you still have to uh, you know, pay the price uh, for the compute that you have procured uh, when you purchase committed use discounts. So I really like this flexibility a lot because sometimes people just hurry. They don't right size their insta- instances properly and they ended up hurrying, making a purchase in terms of uh, committing their overall usage over the period of one year or a three-year period, mm-hmm. this would help them, right? Because even if they made a mistake, well, for consultants or, you know, for DevOps team or for the SRE team, it won't be, you know, difficult to say, okay, we can't change it, right? Because Google doesn't allow it. 
well now there is a way so that's that's good but yeah overall discount is going to be changed as well because i believe 70 percent is the offering or around 70 percent is the offering if you don't purchase the flexible one but the okay. flexible ones are going to offer less discount yeah it makes sense i mean you have to trade off the flexibility for the amount yeah. of discount right cool and the final update from the compute world is that if you guys have used batch or which um, which is a service that allows you to run batch jobs in parallel, et cetera. Well, that service has now been made generally available. So it's no longer in preview. Uh, well, uh, that's a good update, right? Uh, well, I don't think so. Do you, do you want to talk about that? I, I think it's a pretty simple update, right? Yeah, so uh, for anybody that's not familiar, batch, like, like the name says, you can run batch jobs uh at scale and reliably so it's a fully managed service where you can say look i want to run this particular uh, uh program in this many machines etc and the service all manages that for you and we're moving out of preview now into ga and uh and that's pretty much it right but it's good as again for bringing cloud parity because the other providers as well they all offer this similar type of batch processing service all right, let's move into finally the last category for today is going to be AI and ML. So a lot of really cool stuff here in this space where obviously Google is always expected to make uh, announcements since, you know, the AI and ML is kind of like a sweet spot for Google. So we have Translation Hub. This is a fully managed self-service AI agent that will allow uh, localization managers and employees to translate content into 135 languages are really really easily all um to promote obviously you know uh, some better communication cut down cost and and just uh, democratizing the access to content right so that's pretty pretty cool as well there's some new updates into document ai and the doc ai warehouse this is a, a pretty much a at scale storage and organization and search for documents and extract data, metadata, and being able to search through it. So that is uh, pretty cool as well. And there's a new document AI workbench feature so that users can extract data from um, any document by creating business-specific custom document parser. So this is really interesting as well, right? So if you are, you know, especially nowadays that everybody talks about digital transformation, but a lot of, you know, a lot of companies still will have to keep using their older forms or older type of documents that they generate, then they can use um, this feature of the document AI workbench to create custom document parsers so that they can more easily digitize these um these documents right so that's uh that's an interesting one as well and vertex ai is bringing in vision service as well so that computer vision and image recognition will be easier to do for data pros so again you don't have to be a full-blown ml uh, or computer vision expert to be able to use the built-in capabilities of some of these AI um, computer vision and image recognition models, right? Things like recognizing uh, different colors in images, recognizing whether a particular object is in an image, recognizing what type of objects are in an image, um, training uh, uh, or using models that are trained to find some particular uh, objects in an image or distance between objects in an image and all that kind of stuff. All that will be, um, it's just, pre-made basically for you to consume as a data pro and not have to worry about the actual development of the model itself, right? So that's that's pretty cool. And um, 
And then there's finally the OpenXLA project is a new consortium that uh, Google is joining that includes AWS, AMD, ARM, Intel, Meta, and NVIDIA, and some more partners that will be working to accelerate machine learning development by trying to work between them to uh, reduce incompatibilities between their frameworks and their hardware. So this is a good announcement in general for the AI and ML industry. I think that some of these giants are gonna try to make uh, everybody's frameworks and hardware more compatible in between them so that you can uh, move and uh, replatform these workloads uh, more easily, right? Any thoughts there, Sandeep? I think these are all really cool, cool advancements of what you can do uh, in terms of AI and ML in Google Cloud, just easier without having to, again, democratizing the access to it. You don't have to be a super expert to really be uh, productive with a lot of these, you know, translation, document generation, vision tools, et cetera. I think, I think Google has always been the leader in terms of AI and ML for, you know, for a long time now, right? Uh, so these announcements, honestly doesn't come as a surprise well they are going to grow the ecosystem altogether and it's going to continue to grow right i, I think the, the biggest one to be honest out of all these uh, that you've mentioned is the translation hub well support for 135 languages well it's easy to say that you know it can support 135 different languages but that is pretty big how much data you have to you know train your models to before it is capable enough to go through 135 languages. So the work that goes in into building something like that and then making it available as a service, right? Well, that makes life for everyone who is into the same business, right? Who does translation, et cetera, right? Well, it's it's great for the tourism industry, right? Like 135 languages support, you can be anywhere and, you know, uh, get the ability to translate your data into the common language that you understand, et cetera. And it also gives uh, customers the ability to deploy a service rather than you know training their own model for uh, their use cases as well. So that's pretty big as well. And then there are some of the other updates that you shared as well. Well, those are great. Well, I don't see any other vendor even closely matching on what Google has to offer in the space of AI and ML. So that's definitely uh, you know great. Yeah, it's been it's always been a big focus on on the Google side, and obviously they're not uh, diminishing their investments in that space. All right, well, that is all of the updates that we had for the episode today. Again, this is uh, Sandeep on my list, uh, so it's the stuff that we thought the was the most interesting. Go head out to the uh, Google Cloud blog, and you will find the next twenty two list of updates. If you want to see the entire list, and until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Navigating the Datascape.